We're in our fourth week now looking at this Old Testament book. And we said that the book of Proverbs has an aim to it. It has a desire to make us wise men and women. Now we asked a lot of questions about wisdom a few weeks ago, and you can check out those talks on our podcast if you'd like to visit them. But wisdom, we said, is something that's different from morality. It's different from being good, and it's something different altogether from being intelligent. It includes some of those things, but it's something distinct from them as well. And we talked about the gift of wisdom as something that is learned, something that is practiced, and something that is oriented toward reality. So our definition of wisdom, we said, was this, that it's skill in walking in God's ways in God's world. We've been saying that week in and week out. And lastly, we said that primarily Proverbs is concerned with getting us to be certain types of people. You know, in an age where everything is 10 steps this or five steps to happiness or seven keys to make your life great, uh, boy, that culture, uh, the one that we live in, I will tell you that Proverbs frustrates us because Proverbs doesn't give us 10 steps. Instead, it's concerned with making you the sort of person that makes wise decisions. So you have to begin to understand Proverbs as formative. It wants to shape you, and in so doing, to make you wise. Well, we begun last week a uh, series, I mean, kind of looking at different topics. And tonight we're going to look at another topic, one that you've probably guessed by now, touching on the the topic of pride and humility. A very, very important topic, as you can imagine, in the book of Proverbs. And before I pray, I just want to ask this question. In your mind, what is the greatest threat to happiness in your life? What is the greatest threat to happiness in your life? As you see it, what is the thing that if it were to arise in your life would ruin your life? You see, it's not necessarily a cheery question. I realize that. But it seems like it's an important one if you want to live a life well lived in this world. You've got to know what's going to blow it up. And I would like to suggest to you tonight the Proverbs are oriented to being able to help you and help me to answer that question. So let's pray together and ask God to help us. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes. You have said that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so we ask that you would be with us. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would give us comfort and that you would give us grace and that you would do what no man can do, and that is open up our hearts that we might see Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you now come and work with your word that you have inspired to open our hearts and to convict us and to give us life and to give us joy. Lord, be with our unbelief and help us. Grow us in faith, we pray. And it's in your name. Amen. Well, the highlight of my job in so many ways is getting to spend time with y'all you know, at coffee shops and restaurants and this whole, whole, whole deal. And uh, over the last seven years, you know, not only have I kept McAllister's and Potbelly like in business, probably single-handedly, uh, but I've also noticed something. I've also noticed that uh, there is an uncontrovertible, an incontrovertible fact about people. And that is that there are two types of people in this world. There are those who will tell you that you have food on your face, that you have lettuce in your teeth, and so on and so forth. And then there are those who are your enemies, okay? (laughs) Think about it. You can't see it. You can't see food. You don't know it's there. And because you don't, you don't look flattering. Everyone else can see it, and you can't. And 
I would rather you just tell me that I've got a crumb on my face so that I can get it off for the rest of my day so that the whole world would know about it as well. But it's funny, as I've thought about it, have you ever thought about it like this? Here's how it usually plays out. Why would you not tell someone that they have a crumb on their face or a bug in their nose or something like that? Like, think about why you wouldn't do it. Here's why. You don't want to make them feel uncomfortable and then bear the cause and be the cause of their discomfort and there be an awkward moment between you. But here's what's kind of funny. I love this. How many of y'all are kind of squirming in your seats right now? You just feel the, you just feel the awk in the air. Um, but here's what it is. We've all eaten with someone who has food on their face and we didn't tell them. And what happens with each passing moment that you don't tell them? It just gets worse and worse and they keep looking at you with that crumb on your face and it's just good to go ahead and say, hey, you might want to get that. So here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping you'll see that true friends will tell you what you can't see. That true friends will tell you what you can't see and better a little embarrassment now than more of it piling up for the rest of your day. Well, tonight I hope that I can be a friend to you. And moreover, more importantly, really, I hope that God himself would be as a friend tonight to show us the spiritual mess that's really all over us. It isn't flattering, but it's there. And others can see it where we can't. It isn't good for us, but unlike a little mustard or arugula, right, this stuff is disastrous. What is it? Well, put very simply, it's pride. It's pride. Pride is the cancer in the soul that brings us ruin and makes an absolute mess of our lives. And the shocking thing is, as you might imagine, is we tend to not see it. By definition, it's hidden. And we need help to notice it. Y'all, here's what I want you to see tonight. The book of Proverbs wants to show us what is unflattering about us so that we might grow in wisdom and become wise. The original hearers, like we ourselves, would have wrestled with all the same dynamics of pride in their lives. But I do think that you guys, you students today, face a particularly unique challenge as college students. Let me see if I can illustrate. Here is what I mean. <clears throat> this season of your life, you are encouraged what? To be you. <clears throat> to go be you. To explore who you are. To make much of yourself. To assert yourself. To, to seek out your professional path that you need to take. And it's no, no surprise then that the synonym for millennials is actually, do you know what it is? Generation me. Now certainly not all of this is bad. It's good to look for a job. It's good to try to try out different classes to see where your interests lie. But here's the question. How will we resist the making much of me in the midst of a me-making culture? Let me say that again. How will we resist the making much of me in the midst of a me-making culture. You see, here's the thing. The very air that we breathe is bent on putting mustard on our face. Y'all see what I mean? So if you've ever wrestled with this question or struggled with this issue, you're not alone. And God has spoken in His Word tonight to meet us. It's going to show us the real beauty of Christ, the real beauty of humility. And I want you to see that these Proverbs are showing us, firstly, this idea of pride's spoil. So if you have it up there, if you can flip it, Brittany, that would be great. 
Pride spoil is the first thing that I want you to notice. Take a look with me in Proverbs 16, 9. You saw it there as we read it. The Proverbs reads as, this, as, um, as follows. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. In verse 19, it's better to be a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. What is spoil? Well, that might not be a familiar word for you, but spoil is like plunder. It's loot. You know, invading armies would have gone into a land, they would have conquered a people, and they would have taken their stuff. And that stuff was called spoil. It was the rewards of war. It didn't belong to them, but they went and took it anyways. And this proverb is telling us something. It's telling us that something is out there that acts like a lot of spoil. That's something we go and get and we seek that's, worth, that's valuable to us. It's valuable to our hearts. But it's also going to show us something more as well. It's going to show us something more about pride itself, that pride's spoil. Look at verse 21.4. Did you catch it there? Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And look also at the last verse in Proverbs 30.13. When speaking about pride, it says this, There are those... How lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. Now these are Hebraic turns of phrases, idioms, that basically mean this. The Proverbs are saying that pride at its core is a raising of one's eyes because it's a raising of one's head like this. And it's stood in contrast to what we often think about humility where it's the lowering of one's gaze. And the picture is here is that the Proverbs are trying to say that lifted up eyes are raised up. And it's this picture of raising oneself up. It's a picture of lifting oneself up, of exalting oneself, of being able now from the high position to now look down on everybody else. You catch that? Haughty eyes look down on everybody else. That's the picture that, you, that, you, that the Proverbs are trying to get you to see. But... In Proverbs, there's something particular about what pride is. Essentially, here it is. Essentially, it's to raise ourselves up as the sole authority in our lives. In fact, in place of God Himself. And I'll just put it simply. The pride is the desire to be the supreme being in the universe. That's what lies at the heart of pride. I love what the writer, uh, Dorothy Sayers, she wrote many, many decades ago, but she's wonderful when she writes this. Brittany, can you show it, please? She writes that pride is the sin of trying to be as God. It's the sin which proclaims that man can produce out of his own wits and his own impulses and his own imagination the standards by which he lives. In other words, pride at its core, y'all, is theft. Now, what do I mean by that? It's to take for oneself as spoil that which God alone has rights to, and that is this, ultimate authority in our lives. And you might be thinking, dude, this is so like heady and esoteric. What are you talking about? I just want to put it this way. Pride, at its core, is basically saying this. Don't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to call the shots in my life no matter what. Now, it might not be that brash and brazen, but I guarantee you, you understand what that's like. Anytime anybody's ever come to you and, you know, said, hey, you know, do you think you can, uh, da, 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 and every impulse in you that has said, 
No, I don't want to do that. Uh, his pride showing its ugly face. That's what's so crazy about it. It's everywhere. And the thing I'm trying to say is it's all over our face and we can't see it. That's what's so, so crazy about it, so maddening about it. Think about it like this. Why in the world, why in the world do we so do this? Why do we, want, why do we try to usurp God's authority in our lives? And I just want to put it like this, and if you don't catch this, the rest of the sermon will not make sense. You've got to listen up. If you're falling asleep, wake up. It's not it's okay if you're falling asleep. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. Deep down, y'all, all of us want to know that we matter and that we're significant. That our lives count for something. That's what every... It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman. It doesn't mean if you're a Christian. If you're not, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your ethnic or racial background is. Every single one of us was made with a desire to know that we matter. And we lost that in the garden. When Adam and Eve decided they wanted to do life their own way, we lost the assurance, the voice of the one that told us that we did. And so for the rest of our lives, we've been seeking ways to tell each other that we matter. So we do it with our dress and our beauty. We do it with our grades. Why else do you want straight A's? Is it to learn the subject material? Is that what you're telling me? No. Maybe but likely not in classes that aren't your major. It's so you can have the good grade for what? To get it on the resume. So you can show people that what? That you're worthy. That you count. That your life has meaning. Some of you will pursue occupations in areas that you have no interest in, but you're trying to do so to please your parents because you've lived your whole life without their approval and their, and their gaze. And if you could finally do the thing that you want them to do, they would look up and smile at you. You see, this desire to want to matter is huge in our lives. And the Bible calls this desire, that mattering, it calls it glory. It calls it weight. It's like we want this so badly. Why else, after touchdowns happen, do athletes throw up their hands, flick their fingers back at themselves like this, asking for what? Praise, recognition, acknowledgement. I mean, I love football just as the next guy. And when I used to play sports, I did the same thing. But I did it for what reason? Look at me. And I want you to begin to see that this is the spoil of pride. It is what it takes. It's what it seeks. It's to make much of the self and of the ego. And the reason is, is because we have really, really fragile ones. Hint. All of us are deeply insecure. Every single last one of us in this room are radically insecure. And we need the voice of someone to tell us we matter. And we'll look for a thousand different ways. And if I can call the shots in my life, well, then maybe I'll be someone. That's what pride does. But there's something else that it shows us as well about what pride is. And I love this picture of uh, what we see in these other parts. Actually, I'm going to share... Um, no, I'm going to keep going. Let's take a look, secondly, at this other thing. So we've seen what pride is, but let's take a look now at the second point about what pride brings about or what it does. And you begin to see, secondly, that pride spoils. It spoils. Take a look with me at some of these verses on the page. The thing that many of these Proverbs are telling us is that pride literally ruins 
that it destroys. Did you catch it there? And look at verse 11 too. It says this, that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. So we lose face. We're shamed by that. What else does it show us? Look at 13.10. By insolence, that's just a synonym for pride. When insolence, by insolence comes nothing but strife. So there's chaos and relational discord, something we're going to look at in just a moment. And then maybe, most importantly, if you take a look at 16.18, pride says this, that pride goes before destruction. Boy, those are amazing words. And what the picture is, is that you have pride and then you have something in its wake. So you think about a tornado. We went a few years ago up to Moore, Oklahoma and got to see the devastation that the tornadoes brought through. And you just begin to think, like, that's what pride does. When it runs through our lives, it creates a wake of destruction and chaos behind it. And you might say, well, how does it do that? First of all, it does it in the way that we relate to other people. The pride destroys our friendships. It, it ruins our relationships. And why? Well, think about haughty eyes. If I'm taking the high position, I mean, all of y'all are sitting down right now, guess what my vantage point is to all of you? I'm looking down on you, right? I'm looking down on you. I take a privileged spot, and pride does that. You see, pride says, I look at you, and I'm better than you. And we have a thousand different ways that we can look down on people. For example, you can think about it politically, right? You could be somebody who's more progressive or liberal and say, I'm not like those traditionalists and conservative folks. And thank God I'm not. I don't want to be like them. And you look down on them. But you can do it the other way too. You can come from the conservative side politically and you can say, I'm not like those flaming liberals. You can do it religiously. You could say, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm looking down on the folks that don't know God. They're living their lives crazily and I'm better than them. Or you can do it from a secular atheistic framework as well. Those religious people are prudes. I can't believe they won't have a beer. I'm so much better than them. Here's the thing. You can find a thousand different ways to put your pride in something. Stuff that touches on this campus. Well, I'm not in the Greek system and I can't stand folks who are. Or I'm in the Greek system and I look down on folks who aren't. Or I'm an athlete and I'm not. You see, we're always defining ourselves in some way because pride lifts up our eyes to look down on other people. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. I'm going to read a little bit and then you're going to see part of it pop up on the, on the, um, on the, the, the image here. I'm talking about specifically verse 1310 here and that language of strife. And due to the fact that we elevate ourselves, listen to what happens. This, this quote is so key. He says this from his article in Mere Christianity. He says, Now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only to speak, so to speak, by accident. Then I'm reading what's up here. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they aren't. They are proud of what? Being rich-er, being clever-er, better looking than others. And Lewis concludes, if everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Lewis is saying that pride absolutely kills the possibility 
of real relationships because the vantage point it takes to always throw under pe- other people under the bus and to make yourself better. One way of illustrating this, sorry ladies, I'm about to put you on the hook. It's one of my favorites as I talk about this with Laura, my wife. When we were dating, uh, we were engaged actually, we were reading, we read this together. I was like, man, what do you think about this? And she said this. She said, oh, that's absolutely right. I said, really, tell me what you mean. I said, where do you see this? She says, well, like when I go to a party and I like want to dress up and I want to wear something that's tight or I want to wear something that's revealing, she said, it's not really, Ryan, to catch the eyes of other men. Do you know that? I was like, what? I thought that's what y'all did. Like, isn't that something you do? She's like, oh, no, it wasn't for that. It's actually for something else. It's to catch the eyes of who? Other ladies. It's so that somebody else will see me and I'm better than you. It's to say, you see what it does? Now, men, we have our things too. So ladies, I just happened to pick on you tonight. But come back, I'll pick on the guys later. The point (laughs) is, is this. Do you see what pride does? It utterly destroys relationships. Because it says, if I'm going to get mine, you cannot get yours. And here's the thing. In this day and age where we love talk of what? Let's power authentic community. A big buzzword. Ready? I just want our friendship to be what? Organic. Right? Let's just hang out and let's just let a friendship develop. And I want to call BS on that. And I'll tell you why I want to call BS on that. Because you can't have a friendship without accountability. And the moment that somebody calls you to stay put... Or they call you out and say, you bailed on me. You didn't show up. Where were you? You want to run. And I want to say this. If you do that, you'll never have friends. You'll be someone that says, nobody can hold me accountable. I'm going to do my own thing. And I want to say, welcome to the lonely life. The way that you know relationship, deep friendship, is by actually giving up your rights. Is giving up the rights on your life and, as it were, submitting to the friendship. And when you begin to do that, then you can have honest, real relationships. Every, every wedding I do, it's one of the greatest privileges I do to get to do with you guys, is that you'll ask me to marry you. And the fun about that is, is in all of my weddings, I say this, that here at the funeral, she's dressed in white because we're at a wedding, but he's dressed in black because we're at a funeral. And you say, what? No, we're not. Yes, you are. Because at every wedding, there are a series of funerals as well. That he is dying to his rights for her, and she is dying to her rights for him. And what you need to understand is that works itself out in a thousand different relationships, left and right. I'm giving up my rights. I'm giving up my pride, as it were, for the sake of the relationship. Why does that matter? Because pride spoils it. Pride disintegrates real community and real friendship. And I just want to ask you for one practical application in your life. Where are you giving up your rights so that you might be able to experience true fellowship and true relationship? Are you always bailing? Are you always keeping your options open? Are you always sending the text 10 minutes before you're supposed to be somewhere because you found something else going on. I just want to urge you, Proverbs is saying, don't do that, it's foolishness. You'll never become a wise woman or a wise man if you live like that. So I just want to urge you into that and say, come join the rest of our fellow strugglers who actually want to retain our rights 
But we see, the, we see the beauty of giving them up. The last thing I want to show you is I want you to begin to see not only that, the, that prides spoil and that pride spoils, but I want you to see where the great hope comes from tonight, the spoiling of pride itself. You see, God is showing us that pride is utterly destructive in our relationships, that it disintegrates the world around us. It shows us the ruin that we will find if we're not aware of it in our lives. But there is good news, and it's at this moment that God himself is about to tell us that we have a crumb on our face. So you need to listen up, because it's amazing stuff. Look with me at this. Look at verse 3, Proverbs 3, verse 34. The writer says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Another translation there is that he gives grace. And look at 11.2. But with the humble is wisdom. And I love verse 22, verse 4, where it says this, that the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And wouldn't you know that that word for honor there is the word I just mentioned. It means weight. It means glory. I'm trying to piece together here that I want you to see what in the end will finally humble us so that we can get the glory that we so desperately long for. Why do I say that? If you understand verse 22, it's saying this, that to be humble is like a reverse tornado, as it were. That when the tornado goes through, it brings integration, it brings life, it brings honor, it brings riches, as it were, maybe physically, I mean, literal, and some, more often spiritual. It brings L, capital L, life. And I love verse 29, 23, it says, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. What is the Proverbs writer trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see this. It's ironic, isn't it? That you want glory, that you want to matter, that you want significance. And the Bible is saying it's on offer to you tonight to know that you matter. But you've got to go down to get it, not up. You have to go down. You have to lower yourself. You have to actually not care about getting the praise. You have to not care about all the things that you really want, really care about and be able to give them up in such a way that you might get the very favor that comes from God himself. I love a story in Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to fly by and you can read about it if you want. But basically, Jesus is at a party. And in those day and age, there would have been the seat of honor, and then there would have been a seat to the left and a seat to the right, were like, the, were like the next down the row. The center seat was the seat of significance. And then the right and the left would have been like second and third important seats at the table. And the picture you need to see is in this story, people are clamoring for the best seat. They're clamoring to get the best seat. Why? Because they want to receive the honor in front of everybody. And Jesus says this, when you're invited to a party, don't seek the best seats. Seek the worst seats. Because if you seek the best seats and that's not your seat, you're going to be shamed because you're going to be told you need to go and take a lower seat. And the person at the lower seat is supposed to get up and will come and take it to be honored. And what this is trying to get you to see is, is that Jesus is saying that the way 
And I'll just let him use his words himself. He says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me see if I can put a fine point on it, and I'm going to leave my notes. I just want to talk to you for a second. The promise of the gospel is this, friends, that Jesus himself comes for us, dies for us, bleeds out on the cross for us. Philippians chapter 2 says that he did not count equality with God, something to be held on to, but he came and he took the form of a servant and he died on a cross that you and I might get something. What is that? Here it is, that you might get the very significance, that you might get the very weight, that you might get the very mattering that your soul so desperately longs for, that comes in the place of the cross and the cross alone, such that now when we see Jesus, he's able to say upon you, I have given you a status that is worth more than every coin in every single bank on the face of the earth. That you have a value and a dignity because I now care and love you. That I now delight in you. That you now are my, this is what we talked about last fall, you are my special or treasured possession. And that comes to the worst of us, friends. I mean, it comes to those who can't keep their life together. And it comes to us precisely in the moment of our greatest need. You see, what we sing about over and over again in RUF is not that God comes to the people who've got their lives together. He comes to the people who wake up on Saturday morning and don't know whose bed they're in. They come to the men and women who can't contain their substance abuse issues. That it comes to all the people that you don't like. And it comes to you because other people don't like you. It comes to us in our worst, pulls us up off the bottom of the ocean, breathes new life into us and says, you are mine. That's what the Christ, Christ, that is what the cross promises us. So that when you see that, you're able to now know who you are. That you are the beloved of God himself. And friends, when you begin to see that, do you begin to see how pride can begin to erode? Because what pedestal can you stand on anymore if God saved you at your worst? Right? I mean, here's the dual components of the gospel. Here it is. You were so loved that God himself came in the form of Jesus and he died for you. God himself. But you were so sinful. Your heart was so turned away from God that God had to die for you. Do you see that? It's God came and died, but God had to die. And that's not really, really good news about us, is it? I love it when pastor says, if I give you a present and you open it up and it's a bottle of Listerine mouthwash and you say, oh, thank you for this. I really needed this. What is it telling us about you? But you got bad breath. And the only way that, that, the only way that, that thing is enjoyable and pleasing in your eyes is if you can first admit what? your condition. Here's what I want you to see. The gospel will be never be good news for you. It'll never be sweet to you. It'll never be beautiful for you if you can't first admit 
how desperately and how badly you need it. And here's what I'm saying for you. The gospel is on offer for folks like you and me. You can have it because Christ comes in the form of a servant. He comes into this world poor. He doesn't come as some great high and lofty king. And because he comes low, he comes to the likes of you and me. I want to close by just simply saying this. Tonight, I want you to begin to wonder what would it look like to be able to give up your vision for your life and to begin to take what Jesus has for you. I love what the missionary Jim Elliott once said. This is beautiful. He says this. He, we're talking about wisdom. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. You cannot keep your life. You can't keep it. You're going in, you're going to be worm meat. That's what's going to happen. You can't keep your life. It's foolishness to try to hold on to it. And so won't you gain wisdom and gain what you can never lose, friends? An inheritance forever. Fellowship with God through the ages. Won't you, won't you begin to see that God does this for us and He humbles us and He meets us when we're low and He gives us new life. That's what I want you to begin to see tonight. The gospel both lifts us up and humbles us at the same time. And I want you to begin to see the new status that God gives us. Friends, the book of Proverbs wants to make you wise. But you can't do it so long as you're holding on to your pride. Can I begin to show you you're loved? You can let it go. You're delighted in? You've got the status that you can never lose. And that is a daughter or a son of the Most High King. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these promises. Thank you for the patience of these students as I've had to wrestle through with my voice. But Lord, most of all, we thank you that you have come for us in the person of Jesus. Lord, would you impress this upon our hearts and would you whisper in our ears that you do love us and that our sins are all forgiven and that you would tell us that we are your son or that we are your daughter. Would you do that for the very first time tonight for people in this room? Come, Holy Spirit, and grant new life. And Lord, we lift this all up in your name. Amen.